Welcome back to Ring and Steel Podcast. This is part two of our follow-up with Derek Darwin from Midland Armory on NFA items. Today's episode, we're going to kind of go a little bit more into the SBR and some other stuff. We've already covered the uh, suppressor, silencer type stuff. So now we're going to go into some of the other items. I'm joined today with my co-host, Michael Mike Hall. Sorry, Mike. No worries. Good afternoon, Patrick. And Derek Darwin, obviously of Midland Armory, Main Street in Foley, Minnesota. If you're looking for a firearm, go see him. He's great. They can help you out. If you're looking for NFA items, they're great for that as well. They can help you out and get you on... But I'm going to hand it over to uh, Mike and Derek here, and they're going to take you the rest of the way. Thank you very much. Derek, welcome back again. Thanks for coming out again and talking about this stuff with us. Um, We left off. We were covering suppressors, silencers, uh, talked a lot about uh, the forms, uh, some information with the ATF, some different things there. Uh, Today I wanted to get into some other things uh, from SBRs, the little machine gun talk, uh, because I know you play around in that world a little bit. Um, So just to get into it right from the get-go, let's start with the SBRs. And can you give us a simple rundown or definition as to what an SBR is and the uh, forms or whatever the ATF requirements are for doing that? All right, the legal definition of an, an SBR or short-barreled rifle is a centerfire rifle with a barrel of less than 16 inches or an overall length of 26 inches. Now, to touch on the short-barreled shotgun thing is very similar, except for <laughs> the overall length of the barrel can be no less than 18 inches and 26 inches on the overall length as well. Now, the definition of rifle and shotgun, obviously, our ATF definitions uh, differ. Um, Those are easy to look up, but this is just going over the simplicity of the two different items. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much the legal definition of a short-barreled rifle. So with a short-barreled rifle, because I know, like, I've got a AR-15 with a 10-and-a-half-inch barrel. But it's classified as a pistol. Yes. Uh, it's got a buffer tube for the spring and buffer, but I can't put a buttstock on it and can run a pistol brace. Uh, yes. So, And I know a lot of people get themselves into trouble or risk getting themselves into trouble with situations like that. It is this weird thing with the whole AR pistol deal. See, <clears throat> the, um, the reason uh, there's a lot of cases where you can have something, it's an R receiver. The great example would be like a Thompson Center Encore or um, Contender. Those can be convert, uh, made into a pistol or a rifle based on the receiver application or whatever. But those are single shots. You don't have to worry about the recoil system. The AR has a recoil system that has to recoil back into what is considered the receiver extension or commonly known as the buffer tube. So you can't really get away with... Um, having like a folding stock or having no stock at all with that platform. So, therefore, an AR pistol has that on there, which kind of opens it up. It, it just created this weird market where all of a sudden SIG, I think, who came out with the original brace, tampered around with this, and it was considered acceptable. Well, the ATF has obviously gone back and forth on the acceptability of that brace, whether you can shoulder it or not. Um, or, you know, it has an intended purpose to use it that way, and whether or not you're using it improperly, it's it's hard to regulate 
a verb or an action per se. So, um, what I tell people though is just don't be dumb about right. it. Be smart about it. But yeah, braces are legal where they can almost be used as a stock. They look just like stocks, and it's it's just this weird deal with once again that arbitrary ruling and and you know that they have with that. So. <clears throat> In the case of uh, the AR pistol, or we'll just say any pistol of a, a setup like that, whether it's an AK pistol, it's an AR, there are some systems like I had touched on in the other episode with the Robinson Armament. They do not have the same buffer system, so you can actually have a pistol of those. It doesn't have a stock on it at all. It is just flat on the back. Um, I think the SIG, the SIG has the, oh, I'm drawing a blank right now, but... They have like the 556, five, I think, works the same way, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's a lot of systems out there that you won't have a receiver extension on like that. It's AR based and, and clones and whatever. Um, but yeah, because of the AR, you have to have something there. And it was the popular thing many years ago to just have the tube there where you, you know, they would put foam on it or something like that. Yeah. That's so, how I run mine right now. And there is this thing with, um, we actually had one of these. It was made by Alex Pro Firearms. It is a 243 pistol. It came left the factory as a pistol, has an SB tactical brace on it, but the barrel is 16 inches. Now, the way I understand it, they can do that. That is considered a pistol. Now, the state itself may look at it differently because that technically has a length of over 26 inches. While there is no maximum length on a pistol, if I am recalling correctly, don't get me any, may have to look that up, but um, the Minnesota DNR frowns upon hunting with that unless you're in a rifle zone because where the popularity became with those is you could take like a 300 blackout pistol and hunt in shotgun territory in minnesota well as long as it's under 26 inches the dnr doesn't care but this thing we have i'll call it a thing because it looks like a rifle but it's got a brace on it the dnr frowns upon using that in shotgun territory because it's over 26 inches and shoots a high part rifle cartridge so you know there there's some muddy water there with the dnr up here yes. in minnesota cuz i know i part of the intent when i built my pistol because it, like i said 10 and a half inch barrel buffer tube it is a legitimate ar pistol um the way i've got a muzzle brake set up on it right now i can actually one hand that thing arms extended like i can in my glock 19 and it shoots, it doesn't rise, it's a really good performing gun. So I thought, okay, well, you can use a handgun in shotgun zone. So I can use this, 223 centerfire. I know there's discussion on people saying 223 is not a good round for deer hunting. Uh, I think if your shot placement's well, you're fine. But yeah, it's... you go back to, you know, I've heard rumor, and it, it's it's up to the DNR officer. If they see me holding that thing and shooting it like a rifle, whether I'm shouldering it or just cheek mounting my buffer tube, there is some concern that I could actually be tagged with shooting rifle format with that gun. Yeah, if, if they kind of catch you, yeah, it is up to the individual agent, I guess. If they catch you using it improperly or with with uh, you know using it against its intended use, I suppose they can treat it however they want. Mo many probably don't want to deal with the fallout or even the paperwork involved. In that they might just act like they never saw it. Um, you would have to be in a pretty populated area, you know, and it comes down to like somebody going, oh my god, he shouldered his brace, you know, and somebody might, you know, do the Karen thing and, you know, call on you or something, who knows, but yeah, they would have to catch you doing it, and as long as, you know, 
something like that, you could just rest. You know, you got a red dot. You could just rest it on your on a stand or something. Right. You know, and that's fine. So I personally, before I because I bought my three hundred blackout from you, Derek, my seven and a half inch three hundred blackout pistol to use oh. for deer hunting. Okay. I actually called the DNR officer that does patrols in our area, is in our area for where I go hunting, talked to him about it, and he's like, nope, that's legal, I'm good with it. He's like, you're fine, it doesn't bother me, because you're not going to have any issues for me. He goes, the state's so convoluted now on what calibers are for hunting and aren't for hunting. And I said, I know, it's, it's, I, I was looking at that and I've got to ask one other question. Are you telling me 25 auto is legal for deer hunting in Minnesota? He it goes, is. It is. It is. It is. Center fire round. Anything center fire over 22. 22. But, um, it's just ridiculous. Really what it comes down to, as long as it doesn't exceed that 26 inches, it sounds like the DNR doesn't care. That's, that's that magic number that they have now is 26 inches. So if it falls under that, they really can't do it that as long, do anything as long as it's a pistol. So, and like that, that thing that we have, it's, uh, the reason why that became such an issue was because people were calling the DNR. It's like the joke that's going on. Call the ATF! Call the ATF! The ATF could have cared less about pistol braces until people kept calling them and asking questions about them. So next time you feel like calling a government agency, Don't. you might want to think twice about it. Because that's when they really start putting things under the microscope. Otherwise, it's just like one of those things. Like uh, They even changed... um in the technology branch, I think it is who examines some of this stuff to find out, you know, how is it going to be classified? So, like uh, going into the, um, probably don't need to go into the slide fire stocks or anything like that, the bump stocks. But, you know, people send stuff like that in for submission. Now, if you don't send a firearm in to test it with, they won't even look at it. So before, you could just send the item in and be like, okay, yeah, this is dumb, whatever. Yeah, it's cool, whatever, you know. So because slide fire stocks were good until... You know, well, the knee-jerk reaction after Vegas. We'll just leave it at that. So, yeah. so I got a hundred things running through my mind as we're talking here. Um, but the process for getting an SBR, I, I, there's there's two ways we can look at this. Uh, yeah. You can take, and, and we're gonna stay on the AR platform. It's probably the most common firearm yep. system, weapon system on the market today. So I go to the store. I pick up a AR-15 with a 16-inch barrel, mm-hmm. regular buttstock. It is a firearm, a rifle. Yep. I want to turn this into an SBR. What okay. is the process? I know there's some paperwork with the ATF. There's some things we have to do there. But say I want to drop uh, just a buffer tube, or, or I'm sorry, leave the buttstock on, but I want to drop a 10-inch barrel or a 7-inch barrel or whatever on there. Okay, so let's kind of start with the paperwork aspect of that. If you are going to manufacture it yourself, we went over this before, I believe, it is on an ATF Form 1. It's like 53.20-1, but they just call it a Form 1. You're going to manufacture it yourself. So what you're going to do is, here's the kind of weird thing, is you have to have some idea of the overall length of that, because on the form, you're going to have to include the overall length, and I forget if that's with the buttstock extended or collapsed. <laughs> I have to look into that. I always do. I always look it up. I always get the answer, but then I forget it because I've got so much other stuff going on. But anyways, um, I I think it's with it extended, to be honest. But anyways, um, probably at its longest. Yeah, sure I think so. So they're going to ask you barrel length, and then they're going to ask you overall length. Really, it's kind of just, you could actually just use either one. It's not going to be real critical, once again, unless you're being examined for something else, then they're going to start looking into everything. But, um, but be as, be as precise as you can. So, um, so 
you're going to fill out the ATF form one. Now you can do a paper version. You can do a PDF, fill it out so it's all clean, and then print it out, sign it, go through all that. And we won't go into the whole deal. We actually charge people for this process, and we're helping them with form ones. Um, it's like forty bucks or something, you know. It's but, probably well worth it. Worth yeah. the risk of trying to do it on your own, getting something wrong well, and being denied or yeah, extending out. It's something. it's just one of those things. So, and there there is the and if you do a paper form, it's going to probably take the standard route, a standard <laughs> amount of time. So. Anywhere from six to six months to a year, possibly. Um, now there's the ATF e form one. If you set up an e form account and do it that way, I've heard of people getting their stamps back on manufactured firearms within two months. You know, six weeks to two months. So six yeah. to eight weeks, basically. You can do that route, and that's where we've really been helping people because, like anything else, <laughs> the forms can be extremely confusing, and the e forms page is extremely kind of. <laughs> confusing, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And na- to navigate it alone is just confusing. So we help people with that. You can go that route, get a quick turnaround, and it's going to be the same questions. They're going to ask you your serial. Now, if you're doing that route, um, you will have to, when you're manufacturing your own NFA item, this isn't just for SBRs. This is for any NFA item except for machine guns. We can go into this later, but you cannot manufacture machine guns on your own anymore. Uh, but with SBRs, suppressors, AOWs, you can manufacture them yourselves. But anyways, um, you will, uh, let's see, where was I? Um, so as far as manufacturing, you will have to have the, re- so if you're starting with a, a manufactured receiver, you will use a lot of the info that's on that receiver. You can use the serial, you can use all that stuff, but you will have to engrave the manufacturer info on there. So if you are using a trust, the trust info needs to be manufactured. If you are just using your name as an individual, you will put your name on there and city and state. So it would be John Doe, you know, whatever, city, state. So that's the info you need on there. Um, if it's a trust, it'd be the same thing. And then whoever the primary is on the trust, grantor, head trustee, whatever that legal term may be, it'll be the trust name, city, state. So no different. You will have to have that. There are specifications for the engraving. The engraver Letter height, letter yeah, depth. Letter height, yeah. letter depth. The engraver will know that. We probably, if you want to go into that, the height <laughs> needs to be a sixteenth of an inch and the depth has to be three thousandths, point zero zero three. So that's all. That's it. That goes yep. away pretty quick in a media cabinet. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, that's yeah, exactly. So a lot of companies go allegedly. deeper, but that's yeah, <laughs> right. allegedly. That's that is those are the requirements. So, but anyways, um, so yeah, so that is the manufacturing process. I don't know if I think I touched on everything there. Yeah. And like I said, it works with everything. Now, if you're buying, that's buying. an that's an ATF form four. There are a couple ways you, there is no e-form 4 right now. And I can tell you right now, the minute they get that e-form 4 up and running, a company like Silencer Shop is going to crash that system within the first 24 hours. They they're will probably have, waiting for that day. They are. They're trying to get an e-form 1, or they're trying to, uh, Silencer Shop is trying to get their, uh, e-form 1 system going in their program, in their deal, so you can do, but they've had a lot of issues, I think. And it says unavailable or sold out right now when you go to their page. They just can't yeah. get it working, but. I got to give a lot of credit to Silencer Shop. I think they are working with ATF and they've got a lot of this stuff um, implemented. They have the, the the digital barcodes on the Form 4s now when you they have systems that you can use to do your own paperwork. Um, we used it the other day to do the dealer's uh, paperwork. We were able to do that. It was awesome. Uh, so they have made a lot of things easier for the NFA transfer, and it's all for their own personal benefit, you know, to make money, which is great. It's We're a capitalist society. Not Thank to, God. No, yeah, exactly. But it also makes it makes it so much better for the industry as a general. So they are, while they do have their own 
you know, personal intent, they are helping the industry advance and move along with it. And it sucks that we have to do this, but right now that's just the world that we live in and how we have to deal with um, this stuff. So they have tried to make it easy as easy as possible. But back to the Form 4, it's basically, this is a transfer. This is where you are buying an item or transferring it to you that is already manufactured. It doesn't matter if it's a factory rifle, if we're manufacturing it for you. There are people that don't want to do it themselves that come to us. We are a manufacturer. We do all the paperwork and get it manufactured for them. Then you're going to have Midland Armory, Foley, Minnesota, engraved on your gun. You have to keep that in mind. So, but if we manufacture it into an NFA item, SBR or whatever, we have to have it engraved on there. So, and there's more paperwork at the end of the year for FFLs. Yep. And then I have to file a manufacturer. Well, I have to file, we have to file yeah. the report either way, but then I have to remember. So, anyways, so the transfer, yeah, you, so we have done, we've only done a couple of, uh, transfers on factory built SBRs, which those, when people are doing it, that's the deal is, do you want something that's going to hold value? Because one with your own name on it or me taking an Anderson lower and engraving on it, it's not going to really be worth much in the future. But when you buy a factory SBR, like a Nevesky Space Invader, which right now is at the top of my list of ones to own, um, they also have one called the Ghetto Blaster. So but, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one look up. Look it up. It's awesome. But, uh, you know, we got a Springfield uh, Saint SBR factory in there. I would imagine because of their low manufacture numbers of those, those might be worth something someday. Colt SBRs probably hold some of the largest value because Colt in general does for some strange reason. I don't know why, but they do. They hold, yeah. they hold their value. Um, you know, you get into stuff like, uh, uh, Daniel Defense has, fa- a lot of companies do factory SBRs and those, not only are you going to get a, gonna, going to get the warranty, you're going to probably get something that holds its value. Yeah. So some, some collector someday is probably going to want one of those. Hell, I saw a Colt 6921 go for quite a bit, and all that is is a semi-automatic M4. That's all it is. It's not a 6920. The 6920 is the Title I 16-inch barrel. The 6921 was the 14-and-a-half-inch, so basically a semi-auto true M4. Nice. And somebody had to have that for their collection, and they paid the money for it. Yeah. So, so yeah, and typically, you know, there there may be a little bit more money invested into a factory NFA item, because the paperwork they do. I have a factory built SBR from a company and it cost me an extra, I think 50 or a hundred bucks to, to, uh, have that feature. Yeah. So just because they got to manufacture it, file it, you know, they got to disrupt their line. So, I mean, you got to consider things like that. So here's a question on barrel length for you then. Yep. Uh, say if I've got a 14 inch barrel, if I have a threaded on break, it's a 14 inch barrel. But if I take a break and you weld it on, does that extend the barrel length? If I put a two inch break, is that a now a 16 inch barrel? Yes. Yes. If the, if the muzzle device is permanently attached, uh, that makes the actual barrel length that length. So it's kind of a cool deal. The only problem is it, it kind of closes that window for any accessories or doing any work to it. So. There are companies that make like handguards you can swap on there, yada, 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 but there are, yes, you can do that. There are companies now that, um, that manufacture their brakes. It'll have a hole in there, so you dial it in and you can drill into that hole, pin it, and then weld over it, so you can't take that, you can't take it off easily. It's considered permanently attached, but you can always get something apart if you really, really want to. Right. So, but, um, Hell, now, you know, going back to the uh, suppressor deal, there are companies that make suppressors like that, too. So, say you have a 10.5-inch barrel, you get that suppressor now that's like 5.5 inches long or, or 6 inches long. 
you can permanently attach that and only have one stamp, and that's on the suppressor. Oh, nice. So, yeah, you can have an inte- basically an integrally suppressed rifle at that point. So Okay. So in, in some of our conversation on the previous episode, we, you brought up AOWs, which is any other weapon, and yep. destructive devices. Can you go into that a little bit for so, us? Basically, the definition, kind of in a crude manner here, of AOWs, any other weapon... For the most part, it is anything that can be fired from concealment. So if you have a holster for your handgun and it can, you can fire it from that holster, that is considered in any other weapon. You're in violation of NFA laws. So we're talking briefcase guns. Briefcase guns, uh, pen guns, zippo lighter guns, anything like that. Trust me, if they could get it to fire a 22 round, somebody has tried to make it. That also includes, um, and that's where they wanted to include like handguns and things in the original NFA because they were could be fired from concealment technically, but luckily that did not happen, thankfully. Uh, but uh, like short, the Serbu type shotguns, the little shorty shotguns, those are considered AOWs because and that has something to fall under with like the smooth bores and such. But the tax stamp on the transfer for an AOW is only five dollars. But if you manufacture an AOW, it's still $200. So keep that in mind. It might be best to just buy one. Unless that $200 or $195 to you is worth the speed in getting that faster. You know, sometimes yeah. you do. It's like the buy it now on gun broker. You pay a little bit more, you get it now. So, right. But um, that's kind of AOWs in a nutshell. There's more that fall into that category. Like, here's the one weird thing. If you take a handgun with a rail on the front and put a foregrip on it, you now have an AOW. I have no idea how it gets categorized that way, but for some strange reason, do. you have an AR pistol, you put a foregrip on the front of that, like a Magpul RVG or something, it's now in any other weapon, legally. But so, I can put that foregrip on my 16-inch AR if, rifle. On, on, a rifle it's, still. on a rifle, it's not a problem, so oh, it's... That- that's and that's vertical grip, not an angled foregrip. Yeah, a vertical grip, not an angle foregrip. That's I just say foregrip, whatever. But uh, yeah, um, it it can go into the absolute lunacy, which are the l- l- lunacy, the the wormhole of lunacy that are gun uh, United States gun laws. So, but um, now destructive device. Here's an interesting one. This was not implemented in the original NFA in 1934. This came with the Gun Control Act of 1968. So this was another knee-jerk reaction after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and Martin Luther King, pretty much. They enacted this. Um, that had, that basically built a lot of, um, of the, the regulations that we see in licensing these days and inter, interstate commerce and, and region, uh, um, you know, between interstate and national commerce, right. I guess, and, you know, foreign commerce or whatever. Um, it makes things like why you can't buy a Glock 25 double stack 380. It's why you can't buy one in the United States. There is this weird set of points that I don't know a lot about. There's other guys that do import and export that know more about this than I do. Um, the reason why you can't get a double stack 380 Glock in this state is because it doesn't meet the points criteria in that to be able to import. It's, it's, it's retard, yeah, it's absolutely insane. So, but, um, anyways, destructive (sighs) device came with that, and that basically regulates explosives, like bombs, grenades, missiles. Super fun things. Yeah, super fun things. So, there are awesome companies out there who do deal in that, um, specifically. Can I buy Uh, an RPG? you, You know, 
You actually can yes, if you, you can. if you want to pay the taxes and pay the amount for it. You can own an M two uh an M two hundred three grenade launcher. You can own forty forty millimeter not forty four. I meant to say forty millimeter shells. You can own all that stuff if you want to pay the tax on each individual item plus the amount to obtain that item. So I want to say um, my brother's fairly versed in uh, some of the laws because of some of the stuff he's like to play with. Uh, and when he came back from Iraq, we were talking about it because he got to fire an RPG, I believe I remember him saying that when he was in Iraq. And I said, oh, I'd really like to have one. He said, well, you can legally own one. You've got to pay the stamps and the fees and everything, plus the cost of the equipment. The, mm-hmm. the launcher in the each round is not cheap. But I guess... Well, I guess it's finding the actual ordinance for them. The launcher right. itself isn't that big of a deal, but it's the ordinance. It, yeah, but supposedly... Uh, as far as he recalled or read up, you also have to provide prove that you have the property required to fire or discharge that thing off. So, you know, you may need to own three lineal miles of land somewhere if you yeah. want to fire that thing off. So when you get into when you get into items like that, see there's a difference between <laughs> destructive devices and then actual explosives, because there is a federal explosives license, which is like an eleven or something like that. I can't remember. That might be yeah. importation, but there is an explosive license where you need to have a conjunction, and there is a company that knows a lot about that. They're down in Texas. He has, like, three licenses and all that stuff. The guy's out of his mind, but he's hilarious. He's very smart on that stuff. But, um, um, yeah, it, you're getting into that territory. There are a lot more regulations. When you get into explosives, you have to have magazines. They have to be approved, and you will probably get an audit and or inspection probably monthly. So. That's kind of the equivalent of what the aliens do when they pick up the rednecks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So Pretty much. Be prepared to be inspected. So, my favorite topic of the day, machine guns. Uh, I've already mentioned uh, on the previous episode, you own my current favorite firearm right now, CZ Scorpion in full automatic and three-round bursts. Yep, that is the uh, A, they call that the Scorpion Evo A1 for automatic. The civilian version is the S1 for semi-automatic. Boo. I know. So, if you follow us on Facebook, keep an eye out. Uh, Patrick's going to work on getting some video out for us. We did have Derek at uh, one of the gun ranges we shoot at, and we did some magazine compar- comparison testing with this CZ. And uh, I'm a fan of full auto. My favorite is three-round bursts, you know. And because my brain is fried, as I've hit 40, I realize I can't remember a thing to save my life. What caliber is that? The Scorpion is 9mm. Is 9mm. Yep, 9mm. So I know I've shot that thing a couple of times. I've gone through full magazines and full auto. And if you're not experienced in shooting machine gun, even that 9mm will walk you back and up a little bit if you're not prepared. Yep. That's where I do like the three-round bursts. I know three rounds, I may cover 40 inches of property or real estate out in front of me with it. But at three rounds, it's done. Uh, I have done full magazine drops through it. Quite a bit of fun. You just know to be prepared. Uh, however, I've watched you run, I believe it, like your eight eight mags and then the drum. Well, we, so we ran eight mags through that, but you've got another one. Is that a 308 you have that's full auto or just a 223? Uh, we have a 5.56. We have a 9mm Colt style sub gun as well, and then a 40 caliber MP5, which, <laughs> funny thing with a three round burst. The MP5 was two-round burst, but it's still a machine gun. Even though it's a glorified binary trigger, it was still a machine gun at two-round burst. But <laughs> uh, I tinkered around with the trigger pack a little bit on that and fixed that problem. So now it works as the uh, Germans intended. So Nice. 
So yeah, but like I said, I, I was, you know, I remember watching you about a year, year and a half ago at the range. I, I guess it was your 5.56. Five, For some reason, I thought it was a 308. No, probably 5.56. Five, five, so. But uh you handled that thing like a dang pro. I mean, I, I didn't see you walking back at all, and I can imagine me holding that thing, trying to keep it from rising up on me would have been all over the place. But let's get to the meat of it. Uh Building, owning machine guns. I know it's hard. I know it's expensive. Uh And I know it has something to do with 1986. So... I think what we can start is the lesson on probably one of the most crippling laws ever put into place for the firearms market, aside from the National Firearms Act of 1934, which would be the Hughes Amendment of 1986, which went into effect, um, let's see, I had some notes here. I know it's, uh, the cutoff is May 19th, 1986. Um, introduced or written up by William Hughes, who just passed away not long ago, so... Yay. But anyway, Too bad that couldn't have expired with him. Yeah, no, I know. No Wouldn't offense to him personally. <laughs> yeah, but. or his family, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Though. So, yeah, he was a uh, Democratic uh, politician out of New Jersey. Surprise, surprise. But anyways, what this did is, is it banned all ownership, or it banned the manufacturing of new machine guns for civilian ownership. So anything manufactured after May 19th, 1986, you cannot own because the government thinks that you are too dumb so anyways um anything before that is pretty much fair game if you want to pay the prices for them as they increase daily pretty much um but minnesota here we are a cnr state which means it has to be on the curio and relic list now that is a pretty pretty open list um the only thing you're not going to be able to obtain right now are probably going to be things like uzis um mp5s uh, some more modern stuff. There are M16s that are on the CNR list. The AR-18 is on the CNR list. Thompsons, you know, a lot of World War II stuff. Uh, BARs, all on the CNR list. You can own those in Minnesota. You just gotta be prepared to pay to play. So it is an expensive industry to get in. One of the cheapest full autos you can probably get into is probably a Mac 11 or something like that. I don't know, uh, the Rising, um, 45s are pretty, uh, H&R Risings are actually fairly inexpensive when it comes to NFA. Those you can own here, Max you cannot. Um, but, you know, it's the same exact transfer process as an SBR or a silencer, surprisingly. People think it's a lot harder. Here's a misconception they also think with the ownership of an NFA item, as I hear the most, or this is what I hear the most, is the government can come into your home at any given time and inspect your property when you have these items. That is false. Like any other thing, they would have to be there for another reason. They have to have a warrant. So unless you're using your suppressor to shoot squirrels out of the, you know, you know, downtown St. Cloud or something out of your apartment or suite or whatever, you're probably not going to be, you're not, you're not going to bring that. You have to bring that attention to yourself. Right. So is what I'm saying. So, um, but yes, they cannot come into your house and inspect your property at any given time. Now myself as an FFL, as an 07 manufacturer and O2 SOT, they can drop in whenever they feel like it during our business hours. If we're not open, they have to kind of call and find out when we're there, but that's why they ask us our business hours on our paperwork. But and that's th what I was going to bring up next was, you know, be, like I was before I got my FFL and I know I'd talk to you a lot and I said, oh man, I'm, I'm just going to get an FFL so I can own some machine guns easier. <laughs> um, before I knew I was going to go full-fledged business anyways into firearms. But yes, we open ourselves up to government inspection. Oh, absolutely. With 
no rhyme or reason and, or cause possibly. And how easy you want that to go is basically how you, you know, if you're cool and relaxed, just like, yeah, here's my stuff, go through it, you know, whatever. We, it's there for them to look at. You know, we bring everything out in the order, ask us, we ask questions, you know, hey, is this okay? We were doing it this way. This is how we understood what was explained to us. And, you know, it usually it's pretty painful. Our very first inspection lasted three hours. We were very small. We had very little product at the time. We were just getting into the NFA game. Well, our recent inspection lasted two days. So that kind of shows you how we've grown in, in that time. And the first day was basically going through everything. And then the second day was a little bit of wrap up. And then we finished up there. But back to the machine guns. Here's, here's how difficult it is for us to get a machine gun. Um, we have the Scorpion. That is what is considered a post machine, post sample machine gun. It is a sample is what they call it because it is manufactured post May 19th, 1986. What we had to do to get that was we first, we have to find a company that will sell us one. We went to Sig Sauer first looking and I will say that they don't make life easy. They, they are kind of like HK when it comes to customer service almost, it seems. Um, we approached them about getting an MPX machine gun, and they basically told us to go pound sand. Um, when I asked, when I asked for the parts to uh, build one from them, they told me to go pound sand again. So I went. I was at actually at a, a dealer uh, trade show when this happened. So I walked across the hall over to CZ and asked, "Hey, now I want a submachine gun. Will you guys sell me a Scorpion?" They're like, "Yeah, how many do you want?" <laughs> so. Uh, so we, we, I talked to him, he, he gave us the card and the number of a guy to get in touch with, which was their legal counsel at CZ. Um, you know, we had to go through a bunch of stuff. They gave us forms. We, so basically in a nutshell, we had to have a let two letters prepared, both completed by our chief law enforcement officer who we went to the sheriff to have it done. Um, Two of those were completed. We had to, oh boy, it's been a while now, but so yeah, you have to get those law letters, go through all that stuff, mail it to CZ or the company, whoever you're getting the machine gun from, and they send it all in and then you have to, the government's got to approve it. So basically this thing was made in the Czech Republic, imported. Um, once it was stateside, CZ got it in their factory, did what they needed to do to it, whatever. And then basically they called us, had us pay for it. And, uh, we had it the next day. They overnighted it to us. So, but the, the, getting the chief law enforcement officer to actually fill out the paperwork and take that time to do all that, it, uh, that's the hardest part of that is getting the, the king's permission, basically. Yeah. State so. dinner hopefully help with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not gonna say what my relationship is with <laughs> them, but, uh, it, we kept it very professional when, when it came to this, it was very, it was email back and forth. I explained to him, even if I wanted to change entities, I would have to go through this process again to keep that in my possession. If I ever give up my license or my SOT, I either have to destroy the firearm or it has to go to another SOT. So, so, and that's the thing. I know you can possess it. Yes. You can get it. But are there any other requirements? And the only reason I'm asking this because I believe I know a little bit of the background with this. Um, you can legally sell that to a law enforcement or military division, we, correct? Or? We we can, but in all reality, because I can't sell that machine gun to civilians, I will not sell it to any other agency. I appreciate so, that. But uh, 
I will definitely be more than willing to give them demos, which is what we have before. So if I had a department call and ask for a demo on that, I would be more than happy. Oh, you're going to invite me out for an evening or afternoon to shoot in full auto? Okay, you know, whatever. But, yeah, it's just kind of my thing. It's a, it's a you know, policy, integrity, moral thing. You know, if I can't sell it to the public, I'm not selling it to the police. So, right. you know. But, uh, and that's why I have no problem with suppressors and stuff like that. We've given quotes to departments on suppressors and things like that. We've done SBRs for an agency, so we built some for them. Um, but when it comes to machine gun, and the best thing is to, to do is just going to be go to the manufacturer anyways. It's, it's going to be easier for them. They're going to handle all the paper. They're going to have legal counsel that will deal with it. So, right. so machine guns, I, like I said, I, I've played with yours a couple times, uh, it it's a it's a good time uh and to touch on that own that buying for us buying versus we can manufacture anything we want i could go home or back to the shop right now and build three of them fill out which for us is a atf form to the and just inform them that we manufactured another nfa item and it's done they get us give us the approval if it's a machine gun it'll say for limited use blah 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 blah, blah. have some special disclaimers on it but yeah, we can build as many as we want. But if we want to obtain post sample eighty six things, we have to go through the whole hoop thing and everything. Now, if it's pre May nineteenth eighty six stuff, it's all transferable stuff, regardless if it's legal in the state or not. We can deal in that as much as we want. Right. So we can, you know, we because we can sell them. You know, we can obtain them. We can sell them to somebody in another state if it's a, you know, if it's a Mac or something. We can get it, sell it to somebody in another state, make a profit, and transfer it to his NFA dealer in their state as. They wish. So, All right. uh, Patrick, you've been a little quiet over there. This well, I was just, I was just so. letting you go with this stuff because it's it, this. I know Patrick knows this is my favorite subject. It uh, is, and and, I, and I, it's you've asked the questions I would have asked, so it's just kind of let it ride, and I can be here for moral support or step outside. I will tell you, shoulder to cry on after, when I need to, and I after I can't own my machine gun. You fire enough machine guns, it becomes kind of a novelty after a while and you get more enjoyment of watching other people shoot them who haven't who do not have the opportunity to all the time. So so Derek, so. you and I have talked about this because I am former military. I've shot full auto, I've shot a saw, I've shot at the M16. And it's fun, don't get me wrong. But it's a lot of ammo and a lot of cost behind it. It is. There, like, there is. Like I said. The my, one that you have, you have the full auto 22 long rifle. That, yeah, to me, is entertaining. That is extremely fun and entertaining. So because I think, it doesn't and, cost me, you know, 20 bucks to fill a couple magazines up. No. Nope. And the great thing is that's what I've put all my kids on first. Like, hey, you can tell your friends you've got to shoot a machine gun, and we always have them shoot the 22. And Mike, I think your boy has shot my, the 22. My daughter ran the 22, oh, 20. okay. and she still grins <laughs> ear to ear when she gets to sell, tell somebody, I shot a machine gun. Right. Like, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what it's all about right I there. don't think that's Mike found, found out. I don't think I told you that. I found out something for Derek that we're working to get for one of our shoots sometime. We're gonna get tracer rounds, a whole twenty-two long rifle tracers, Ooh. and load that thing up and do it at dusk, and there just do a line of fire coming out of it. That will be fun. Sorry yeah, for your barrel. Hey, it's not my barrel, luckily. right? <laughs> if it burns out, I'll put another one on it. That's that's how it goes. Okay, so here's a question for you. Since we're talking about machine guns, you know, bringing up the barrel thing. Everybody I talk to in my world with semi-autos and Cerakote, they're worried about burning coatings off. Cerakote makes a high temp paint. I believe I, if I remember correctly, it can go up to 1500 degrees. Uh, standard Cerakote's good up to 500. I typically just sell everybody the standard because even with a semi-auto, 
I can burn through a magazine in my AR pistol, you know, 10-inch barrel, do a 30-round mag dump. The barrel gets hot, I can't hold it, but I've yet to discolor mine. But I know over time, you start burning through magazines and magazines. You're shortening the life of that barrel because you're not letting it cool down. You're putting more and more material into it, and you're burning it into it. What is the life expectancy, or have you had any issues with that yet? Not that I've noticed. I mean... Yeah, there is, they do have a finite lifespan on there, but it all depends on the makeup of the barrel. Is it chrome lined? You know, what's the material? How good? Who manufactured it? Um, like the barrel that's on my M16, that is a old chrome lined one and seven twist CMMG barrel. I mean, this was back when that's all CMMG, CMMG did. And if you wanted a decent barrel and not have to fork out a lot of money for it, you went to CMMG. Now they've gone full manufacturing rifles, yada, yada. But, um, I mean, we've got so many rounds through that, it, I, I, I don't even know, you know, and I don't just run like your top of the line, like, you know, we're running Wolf and Tula and everything under the sun through that thing, so, I, I you know, I would imagine when, I, I don't sharpshoot with that thing, so, it's not like we're testing it for accuracy, we just let the rounds fly out of it, so. We well, should the, do that next time we're out at the I range, do it, put a, and all that's see what there. we can zero it at and yeah. see how it holds with I just a couple actually, single shot rounds. I know like, it holds if we pretty run, good. If we wanted to do this right, do you have white Cerakote? I do have white yeah. Cerakote. So we could take just a barrel, find a, just a barrel, say, have you Cerakote at white, I've got a 60 round drum mag and 240s for yep. 5.56. Five, take Derek's full auto, throw it on there, and see how much in torture test a little bit. See what that'll hold up to. Because if it's holding up to a hundred rounds at full auto, because you can do that pretty quickly on that oh, reload. Yeah. Oh yeah. If it holds up to that, the, no one's gonna have to worry about Sarah. Yeah. Well, we'll see that in that video that comes out with a scorpion where he just ran mag after mag <coughs> after mag, and that barrel on there is it is not the factory, um, cold hammer forged CZ barrel. I have. Convert it to a K system using the HB Industries kit. And I forget what the makeup is of that barrel, but it's still holding very well. And we got that hot. We ran eight mags through that. I mean, minimum of 30 rounds per each mag. The mag pulls and whatever, they had, they held 35 rounds. So there's 70, 140 rounds right there. Full. That gun was so hot by the time we got to the drum, I couldn't hang yeah. on to the handguard anymore. And I don't think we discolored anything. I don't think we damaged anything, but... It, if we would have prolonged it, yeah, things, you keep cooking them, things do fail. I mean, there's videos on YouTube of guys, and I don't want to mention the people because I don't always agree with things they say, but they have done torture tests. They have blown things up, and it can happen. And it, it all depends on the, the firearms platform, you know, yeah. how, what it's designed to handle. But also that Scorpion, I think it handled it quite well, so. Fantastic. Alrighty. Well. I think I've got my information, things that I wanted to cover, taken care of for today. Uh, Derek, like I have mentioned before, he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. Uh, and he's also protective of his knowledge. Uh, he's He won't tell you something that he doesn't know or can't show you uh, a form from ATF or something. He will not steer you wrong. He'll make sure... Anything you're interested in, you know, whether suppressor, SBRs, or anything like that, he makes sure the customer gets what they need. They know they're done right. It's done legally. There is no backroom deals here. It's it's all real quick, Mike. I'm I'm gonna do this for Derek. He he's you know come in here and done this, and I actually have a read set up for him. So let me just go right. through that okay. real quick. Well, the one thing I did want to say, touching on Mike's though, is. 
if we can't find an answer, or if I don't know an answer to something, I will find it. Whether I have to ask somebody, swallow my pride, and ask somebody else, or just read. You know, I know how much I love to read because it takes time, but I just had to do that the other day. You know, I had to look something up. So, yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) I had to go through all the, the just mundane regulations and forms and just read this to figure out, make sure I was doing something right, you know, because they do. They make it very difficult in some cases to, you know, do this. Yeah. So... All right. Well, thank you, Derek, for coming in this week. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. For both of our episodes on this nice two-part episode, because we got into the the thick of it with the last episode, and we needed us a little bit more time, and we didn't make people sit around for an hour and a half listening to us BS about it. But Midland Armory in Foley, Minnesota, Main Street. You can also find them at MidlandArmory.com for all your firearms needs. Check out the website. See if you can find it. If you can find it, give Derek or his wife Tracy a call. They will get you set up. If you need an NFA item, they do have the kiosk there to do all that stuff. They take care of their people, and they don't charge you an arm and a leg while doing it so if you're looking for that new firearm or you're looking for something specialized please contact Derek Midland Armory Main Street and Foley MidlandArmory.com alright that is going to be the end of this episode we are still looking for some sponsors to help us out with some costs that we do have uh, associated with this also if you have ideas Please reach out to us on the Facebook page. Let us know what you want to hear about. If you want to contact us directly, we're going to be setting up some emails so you can get a hold of us. Mike does have his email, which is mhall, that is M-H-A-L-L, at blackmarketcodings.com. You can also reach me through the website at blackmarketcodings.com. And for myself, Patrick, you can reach me on the Facebook page. I do manage that quite closely. If you send a message there, I try to respond to you. I can't... Ma- Say uh, that it will be immediate because, well, I do sleep and, uh, well, I do have a full-time job as well. Anyway, join us again for the next episode of Ring and Steel Podcast coming out in a couple weeks. Thank you very much and have a great night or great day.